All right, Keris is going to read from, uh, for us from uh, John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing made was made that has been made. In him was life, and in that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not, rec- did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decisions or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is he whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law that was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Christ Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son cannot do nothing by him cannot do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. Were there thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be, he might have the supreme. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and shed on the cross. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true. May your word speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for reading. Uh, before we go on, I, I do have um, a video that I want to show you, but before I do that, I wanted us to just do a recap quickly. Um, we've been speaking about the doctrine of Trinity, which is a very difficult doctrine, which is a hard doctrine to understand with the mind. Um, if we understood God fully and knew all his ways and knew him in and out, he would not be God because we can figure him out. So the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those that makes me realize that I cannot even fathom with my mind who he is and how great he is. Um, but there are three things that I want to remind us before we start today, <clears throat> because they're going to be good as we lay foundation for speaking about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the Word incarnate, and he's the Son of God, and he's God the Son. Um, the three truths that I want you to remember is, number one, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Number two, each of them are fully God. And number three, there is only one God. That sounds complicated, eh? That's the truth of the Trinity. We remember that they, they the three of them, are one God. And they are all fully God. And they are each a distinctive person of God. That's, that's something to think about. So that is why I say to you, um, I think Ryan did a good job on the first Sunday we talked about the Trinity, to try and put this out so that we have a framework to, from which to, wake, to work on. And today, my focus, Ryan spoke last week about God the Father. My focus this week is God the Son, which is Jesus Christ. And my focus today is going to be on the book of John, really. I read Colossians, yes, I'm going to refer to Colossians, but I wanted you to hear Colossians directly as what the epistles say about Jesus. There's still more stuff. I mean, this is a vast topic. Um, I was telling Ryan on Thursday that I feel like I, I went back to school and I was in this, um, um, a systematic theology class again, and I felt excited about things. I opened my old notes. I was, yeah, I was all pumped up and excited to read some of the things that I wrote and some of the papers that I wrote and some of the things that I read from other people's books. And so this was very, a very interesting exercise to do. But I want it not to just be a mental exercise for us today. It's easy. The church in America, one of our idols is to have mental exercises is to grow in the brain and know we know this doctrine. But the issue is not really knowing, the issue is walking it. 
So I want it to drop from here as we go today to here and then affect the way we live our lives. So it's, it's a very different way that I want us to see things today. All right, before, I go, um, before we go to the video, as I said, I'm going to look at John. So I decided to show you a little bit of a video that talks about the purpose of the book of John. If you want to understand Christ as the Son of God, read the book of John. Look for Christ as the Son of God in the book of John. You'll be amazed how much that gospel by itself gives us a picture of Christ as God's Son. Gives us the picture of Christ as God incarnate. Gives us the picture of Christ as who he claims that he is. And so I want us to, um, to think about that, but also I want you, as you look at this video, to think about this is just an introduction to appetize you in going through the book of John. I want to challenge you as a church. I know we've got a curriculum that we're going through, but personally, go through the book of John. Look for the Son of God in the book of John. You will be amazed. All right, let's see that video first. The Gospel according to John. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and we learn at the end of the book that it comes from one of Jesus' closest followers called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he appears many times in the story itself, and there's some debate about whether it's John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, or a different John who lived in Jerusalem and was known in the later church as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, the book embodies his eyewitness testimony, and it's been brilliantly designed with a clear purpose that he states near the end. John says, the story is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believes that the Jesus you read about in this book is alive and real and that he can change your life forever. The book's design is really cool. Its first half opens with an introductory poem and a short story that's followed by then a big block of stories about Jesus performing miraculous signs that generate increasing controversy. And it all culminates in his greatest sign, the raising of Lazarus, which creates the greatest controversy as Israel's leaders decide to kill Jesus. And that launches into the book's second half. These chapters focus on Jesus' final night and last words to his disciples, which are followed by his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. The book concludes with an epilogue. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half. So the book opens with a two-part introduction. First, a poem that begins, in the beginning, was the Word. An obvious allusion to Genesis 1, when God created everything with his Word. Now, a person's words, they're distinct from that person, but they're also the embodiment of that person's mind and will. And so John says that God's Word was with God, that is distinct. And yet the Word was God, that is divine. And as we ponder this claim, we hear later in the poem that this divine word became human in Jesus. Then John goes on to draw from the stories of Exodus, saying that Jesus was God's tabernacle in our midst. The glorious divine presence that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant became a human in Jesus. Which leads to his last claim, that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Son, who has become human to reveal the Father to us. Now, as we consider these mind-bending claims, we then start to hear a story about how John the Baptist first met Jesus and then led other people to meet him and become his disciples. And one by one, as people encounter Jesus, they say out loud who they think he is. And in this one chapter, Jesus is given seven titles. Now, these titles prepare us for John's love of sevens in designing the book, but 
Altogether, they also make a claim that this fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king, he's the teacher of Israel, and he's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. Now that's a big claim to make about someone, and John will now go on to support it through the stories in chapters 2 through 12. They all have the same basic pattern. Jesus will perform a sign or make a claim about himself, and that will result in misunderstanding or controversy. And so in the end of each story, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. The first section shows Jesus encountering four classic Jewish institutions. And in each case, Jesus shows that he is the reality to which that institution pointed. So Jesus is at a wedding party and the wine runs out. And Jesus then turns these huge jugs of water, like 120 gallons total, into the best wine ever. And the head waiter says to the groom, you've saved the best wine for last. Which is, of course, true. But John also calls this miracle Jesus' first sign. In other words, it's a symbol that reveals something about Jesus. So just as Isaiah said that the Messianic kingdom would be like this huge party with lots of good wine, so this first miraculous sign reveals the generosity of Jesus' kingdom. Next, Jesus goes to the Jerusalem temple, the place where heaven and earth were supposed to come together and God would meet with his people. And Jesus asserts his authority over it, running out all the money exchangers, stopping the sacrificial offerings. And when the temple leaders threaten him, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is claiming that his coming sacrificial death is where heaven and earth will truly meet together. His body that will be killed is the reality to which the temple building points. Then Jesus has this all-night conversation with a rabbi named Nicodemus, who thinks that Jesus is just like him, another rabbi and teacher for Israel. But Jesus says that Israel needs much more than just another teacher with new information. Israel needs a new heart and a new life. Or in his words, no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. Jesus believes that humans are caught in a web of selfishness and sin that leads to death. But he also knows that God loves this world. And so he's here to offer people a new birth, a new chance at life. From here, Jesus travels north and he ends up at a sacred well in a conversation with a Samaritan, that is a non-Jewish woman. And they start talking about water, which Jesus turns into a metaphor for himself. He says he's here to bring living water that can become a source of eternal life. Now, in John, this term refers to a new quality of life, one that's infused with God's eternal love, and it's a life that can begin now and last on into the future. After this, John has designed another collection of stories that took place during four Jewish sacred days, or feasts. And again, Jesus uses the images related to the feasts to make claims about himself. So Jesus first heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which starts a controversy with the Jewish leaders about working on the day of rest. And Jesus says it's his father who's working on the Sabbath, and so is he. And they catch his meaning, that he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God, and so they want to kill him. The next story takes place during Passover, the feast that retold the Exodus story with the symbolic meal of the lamb and bread and wine. And Jesus miraculously provides food for a crowd of thousands, which results in people asking him for more bread. And then Jesus goes on to claim that he is the true bread, and if they eat him, they will discover eternal life. And this offends many people who stop following him. 
After this is a block of stories set in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, which retold the story of Israel's wilderness wanderings as God guided them with the pillar of cloud and fire and provided them water in the desert. And Jesus gets up in the temple courts and he shouts, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And then later he says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be the illuminating presence of God and the life-saving gift of God to his people. And some people believe and follow him, but others are offended and still others try to kill him for these exalted claims. The final feast story is during Hanukkah, which means rededication. It's about how Judah Maccabee cleared the temple of idols and set it apart as holy once more. And Jesus goes into the temple area and says that he is the one whom God has set apart as the holy one, and that he is the true temple where God's presence dwells. And he also says, I and the Father are one. This makes the Jerusalem leaders so angry, they set in motion a plan to kill Jesus, and so he retreats from the city. Now, all these conflicts, they culminate in one last miraculous sign. Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus is sick, but his family lives near Jerusalem, which is now a death trap for Jesus. Now, Jesus could stay away and he would save his own life, but he loves Lazarus. So once he hears that Lazarus has died, he goes to raise him from the dead and he calls him to life out of his tomb, knowing that it will cost him his own life. And the news of this amazing sign, it spreads quickly, of course. And just as Jesus knew it happened, the Jerusalem leaders hear about it and begin conspiring to murder him. And so he rides into Jerusalem as Israel's king, who's rejected by its leaders. So the first half of John draws to a close with this story about Jesus laying down his life as an act of love for his friend. And this, of course, is also a sign pointing forward to the cross, which we'll explore more in the next video. But for now, that's the first half of the Gospel of John. All right, first half of the Gospel of John, in a very quick way, was is it shows the nitty-gritty of what John is about. The first thing we see here is in John chapter 20, 30 to 31, when the purpose of this gospel is being laid out. John said, and truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you would have life in his name. This is the reason why the book is written. This is the reason why John writes his gospel. And this is one of the reasons why I'm taking the book of John to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. Because that was the purpose of the book. Um, the statement here that Jesus is the Son of God is one of the fundamental statements of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is founded on that Jesus Christ is God the Son. It's part of those statements that are fundamental to what we believe. So a few things to see here in John. In John chapter 1, we hear that the, in the beginning was the Word. And as far as we, as we read further, we realize that the Word was Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word. So number one, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the Word in flesh, Jesus is eternal that's the first thing the first thing we see is that he is that he is eternal 
The word Jesus did not just begin in, Bre- in Bethlehem. I know we, we love the story of Christmas in Bethlehem. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He has no beginning. He has no end. The scripture tells us here and shows us that the, that story of Bethlehem is not the beginning of the existence of the Son of God. I know that sounds like, what? I thought Jesus started at Christmas. Jesus does not start at Christmas. His existence does not begin, begin at Bethlehem, nor does his existence begin in creation. Because before creation, he was there. The word before creation was there. That is the reason why the earth and everything was created by the word. How would the word create if it wasn't there before creation? So we see here that Jesus, is, his existence does not start there. A Scottish theologian puts it this way. He says his existence does not begin in Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was just an intrusion and the eruption of the eternal into the existence of man. Donald MacLeod, I like this. I'll read it again. His existence does not begin in Bethlehem or creation. The birth of Jesus was just an intrusion and an, eru- an eruption of the eternal into the existence of man. That was when the, 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 the picture of this unseen God became a reality that human beings could see. There was never a time where Jesus was not. There was never a time where the Son of God was not. He was there from beginning and he is there forevermore. He is eternal. When creation took place, the word was already there. God's son was already there. The word, which is God's son, he's unoriginated. The word, which is God's son, is uncaused by something or somebody. The word, which is God's son, is independent from any other form of existence because he is God. He was not created. That's where the difference is when it comes to these different cults, is the idea of that some of them believe that Jesus was created. But scripture tells us a different thing, that Jesus is God in person coming to us. So Jesus is eternal. There is no beginning. There is no end. Number two, Jesus, the son of God, he is God. He is not just eternal. He is not just part of God. He is God. This is the baseline core truth of our Christian walk. He is given the title which is above, I mean, any other title that you can think of. He's given the title of Elohim when they speak to him in scripture. In that verse 1 that we read of John chapter 1, he's given the title of that he is God. The title, if you read that in, in Hebrew, that verse, chapter 1, verse 1, the word was with God, the word was God. It says the word was Elohim. That's the greatest title. The word is nothing less than God himself. 
Jesus is nothing less than God himself. By nature, by every other account, he is God. This was a discussion that happened uh, between, um, I think it was the, um, during the first Nasir, um, there, was, there was a time where there were people who were, Ari- and, and a priest whose name was Arius, Arius, who taught that Jesus was, began, was created. And then the rest of the bishops, including Alexandria, were like, no, Jesus was not created. There was no time where he was not, because scripture tells us that. And they beckled on these words, and there's a, a Greek word that they beckled on. And this word here that they beckled on is, is the word homoseus, which speaks of the substance. It says that Jesus is of the substance, of the same substance with God. There are, th- there are, three, there are two other words that were involved in that discussion during the Council of Nicaea, one of them is heterosaeus, which speaks of that he was of a different substance. And the other one is homoseios, which speaks of that he was of similar substance. And they refuted the other two and remained and agreed because of what scripture says to that he is one substance with the Father. He is of the same substance with the Father. He is not of similar substance. He is not a kind of God. He is of the same substance with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit. It blows my mind to just think about it. Because it's not easily understandable with my human mind. That's where faith comes in. And so we see that. And then Jesus goes on in John chapter 10 verse 30 to to substitute that Jesus says, My Father and I are one. John 10 30, he says, my father and I are one. In this, Jesus tells us that he possesses all the attributes of God. He tells us that he is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, he is omniscient, he is everything. He was, he is, and is to come. He he reveals himself as these with these attributes of God in him. And he does that very well in the book of John, which is the reason why I chose the book of John to go through this. He reveals himself in so many ways, and we're going to see how he reveals himself. In John 1.18, he says, No one has ever seen the Father, but the one and only Son, he himself, God is in the closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. The Father is only known by the Son and through the Son. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God the Son who came to make God known to us as humans. And then he reveals himself in John in so many ways with these attributes of God. One of them is John 14, 16. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on and gives these I am statements that we heard about on the video. John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, and John 9, 5, he says, I am the light of the world. John 10, 7 to 11, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 11 to 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. 
John 11, 23 to 26, he says, I am resurrection and life. John 14, 1 through 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 5, he says, he is the true vine. And he uses the word, I am. The word, I am, for the Jewish people that were listening, had him use the word, Yahweh. I am. That word, in, in our English, it sounds like, yeah, we all use I am. But in that language, when he said I am, he used the word Yahweh, which is the name of God. He says, I am God, and I have these attributes. He uses that divine name that the Jews were worried about. That's why there was so much scandal around him in John. Because they, they hear that, not only John in the Gospels, when the religious leaders and teachers of the law hear that, they like, what? You just called yourself God? And he says, yes, I am. So we see Jesus here as God. Number three, Jesus is creator. We hear again in verse 3 that all things were created through him. All things were made by him. In verse 3 of John chapter 1, he is creator. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There are times where that word, the firstborn, has been seen as, oh, is he then, was he then created first? No, no. He is the firstborn. The word firstborn there means the one who has the authority over. The word that they use there is not the word that one who is born first. It's a term of saying that he has authority over. That is why the firstborn of Israel was... um, if you look at the issue of uh, when Israel was blessing his children, grandchildren, the, the issue between Manasseh and his brother, the firstborn issue, the firstborn is not just one who is born first. Jacob and his brother, Isaac, he received the firstborn's blessing. That did not mean that suddenly he had been born first. But it is the honor that is given. So he says here that he is the firstborn of all creation. For all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. There is nothing beyond the power and the control of Jesus, the Son of God, as the creator. Nothing at all. Jesus performs all the functions of the deity in creation. He performs all the functions of being God in creation. And not only in creation, but continues to perform them now. Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in him dwells the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of God is found in Jesus. Jesus is God. That is why every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord, because Jesus, the Son of God, is God. Number four, Jesus is completely united with the Father in action. 
We see that when we move on to John chapter 5 in verse 19. He says, most assuredly or surely, surely I say to you, the son cannot do not, can, sorry, can do nothing of himself. But he sees what the father does. For whatever he does, the son does in like manner. In a way, Jesus is saying to them, I do not act independently. He's not just saying, I don't act independently from the father. He says, I cannot act independently from the father. His purposes are interwoven with the father's purpose to a point that when the son acts, the father acts. When the, when the father acts, the son acts because they are so interwoven in their purposes to save the world. That is why in John 14, going again with John, John 14, 8 to 10, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. He says here that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So he is saying in a way to them that I am completely united with the Father. When you see Christ the Son, when you experience Christ the Son, you experience the Father. And then that is the reason why they said I had, they had never seen anybody who teaches with that much of authority. Because they, didn't, they had not experienced the authority of the Father until Jesus came and represented the Father in person. Another area that we see, number five, is that Jesus is the giver of life. I'll start here. In Deuteronomy, we hear that God is the only one who gives life. Israelites knew that. They knew that very well, and so it didn't really bother them, like thinking, what else? God gives life. We hear as well in Chronicles of a king who, uh, when prayer is made, he says, oh, when the, the king of, of, of the army, I think of the army of Syria says, Assyria says to him, well, uh, come and heal me. He says, who am I to give life? I am not God who gives life. So there is an understanding in Israel that God is the giver of life. These are some of the attributes of God. And in Deuteronomy 32, 39, God says, Now see that I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make life. I wound and I heal, for there is no one who can deliver from my hand. And then we hear Jesus in this story that we read just now in John chapter 5. He comes and he says that he is the giver of life. John 5.21 For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so the Son gives life to whosoever he pleases. So Jesus, in a way, proves that he is God in that he is the giver of life. But Jesus as well does not just give physical life, but gives also spiritual life. And we hear that in John 3.36, Who he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. 
The Son gives life, not only physical life, but also in the spiritual sense, eternal life. So we see Jesus here as the giver of life. The Son, again, is the bringer of judgment. He brings judgment. We hear that in the same scripture, John 5, 22. He says, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And we know that God is the judge of the world. The Israelites had and knew that God is a judge. So when they heard that, they're like, what do you mean you judge? Are you God? And yes, he is. So he says, he is here, he has been given judgment. All judgment has been left to him. And where do we see that again? John three eighteen. He who believes in the Son is not condemned. Condemned to what? To judgment. But he who does not believe in the Son is condemned already to judgment. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And lastly, Jesus is the receiver of honor. We see that again in chapter 5 where we read. It says in 5.23 that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The only way we can honor God is through Christ Jesus. The only way, this is a bold statement that I'm making, but it's the truth of God's word. The only way we can honor God, it is through Christ Jesus. There is no any other way to honor God, the Father. That's what Jesus says here. And he has said in his, in, in his word earlier that I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. There is no any other way to worship God except through Christ Jesus, the Son of God. John chapter 5, 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Eternal life comes by hearing his word, the word of the Son of God. Spiritual awakening in our lives comes not outside the word of God, but through the word of God, which is Christ the Son of God. The eternal life we get, the eternal life we, we experience in God does not come in any other way. It's not hereditary. It doesn't come from my grandfather and that because my grandfather was a pastor, so I am sorted. No. It comes through knowing this, this picture of the invisible God, this image of the invisible God, which is Christ Jesus, the Son of God. And so today, I want to challenge us. After hearing these seven characters of who Jesus is, what is left for me is nothing else but to fall down in worship to him. He is God. Jesus, the Son of God, is not created. He is eternal. He is life-giving. He is the judge. He is God. And for me as a believer, when I hear that, what comes into my heart is excitement of worshiping, knowing and experiencing this giver of life who is inside of me, this giver of life that I look to, 
That gives me the excitement to come down and fall at his feet and bring down every crown and every praise that I've ever had. Because Jesus, the Son of God, is God in person. And for those of, you, of us who are here who have never made that commitment to Jesus, these are huge claims that Jesus is giving. But also he says that, he says that every, everyone who comes to him, he does not reject them. He says everybody who comes to him, he gives them eternal life. And if you have not made that decision to come and be part of what Jesus is calling us to be, part of um, his kingdom, part of the church, this might be your opportunity today. To say yes to this Jesus, the word, the son of God, and thereby say yes to God the Father. Have you believed this word that Jesus confessed? Jesus says in John chapter 5, 24 to 27, Most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him, who, he believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come to judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most surely I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come to judgment, but has passed from death to, ever, to everlasting life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given them authority to execute judgment. Have you believed in this word? Those who have believed, praise God, we've passed from death to life. But those who have not, my invitation to you today is would you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God? He will change your life. You will move from death to life. You want to experience the fullness of life? Experience Jesus, the Son of God. You want to experience True worship of God. Experience Jesus, the Son of God. And so today, as we close, and as the worship team comes up, I want us, those who have believed, this is our time to fall down at his knees, at our knees, to fall down at his feet, because we realize the magnitude of who he is. Jesus is all that, and he deserves our adoration and praise. And for those that have not believed, today it might be your chance that Jesus is calling for you to experience him and experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. Not only the saving grace, but it gives us opportunity to come and worship the Father in truth. And I encourage you today, let the sun take the rain in your life. Give God the sun the reins for him to rule and reign in your life. And things will be different. And the rest of us, let's stand up and worship God, knowing that we worship the sun who is God.
in person.